Howdy, hi folks. Welcome back to the podcast, the Coaches Rising podcast. Welcome to those of you, if you're listening right now on Spotify, you, yes. Yeah, the listenership's really grown recently and I really appreciate that. And so I just want to welcome you aboard and say, if you're a coach or a facilitator and you haven't been on our website, coachesrising.com, you can find more of our resources for you there and also join our mailing list and stay in the loop about other resources we put out there that aren't on Spotify. So, and you know, hey, don't want to leave those of you out now who are listening through other platforms as well. Appreciate you too. And so this podcast, I'm going to be talking with Linda Ford. And I met Linda maybe three years ago. And since then, uh, we reconnected and she'd been on this really interesting journey. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about her journey as a coaching entrepreneur. If you're a coach and you might see there are a lot of these kind of shiny marketing gurus out there who tell you how to make six figures in six weeks and all of that business. And I don't know, some of them might be genuine, but a lot of them, when you look into them, they're not even coaches. They've not even built their own coaching practice. So I want to bring you people like Linda, real coaches out there who've been successful in rebuilding their practice. And that's what we're going to talk about. She, she actually, we're going to talk about how Linda, she was already doing well as a coach. She'd been coaching for many years, but there was a moment where she realized her coaching had become stale in some way, that she wasn't at her edge. She was kind of going through the motions and, you know, we might all recognize that that happens in our lives, you know, that, that. At one moment, the thing that was our edge that really brought the best out of us, you know, after a while, we kind of get used to it and then we start going through the motions again. It's a really important lesson for us. So we'll discuss what happened when Linda realized this, the journey she went on to get herself back at her edge and what she learned about enrolling clients. She said something really interesting. She said, I've got this confidence now that I can go out and enroll clients when I want exactly the right kinds of clients so as usual i'd really appreciate it if you share this podcast you can find the individual share buttons on our podcast page coachesrising.com and if you feel like leaving a review as well it helps us get the word out as well so without further ado here is the podcast with linda ford so yeah Cool. We just started recording and, um, you know, this is quite spontaneous because we just were going to catch up and um, we met like a couple, three years ago or something and we were just going to catch up now. And then uh, we started to talk about your story and I was like, we should, we should record this. So <laughs> that's what we're going to do and we'll see, you know, we, we maybe record it again, but we're just going to talk now because I love the, I love following my natural uh, curiosity. Uh, when I grew up, I loved listening to something called Radio 4 in England, talk radio. And um, so I'd have it on in the background. My parents had it on as well. And it was like, um, they do all kinds, they do like political shows and stuff, but they would also have these shows where they like go out and they meet really interesting people, like a guy that's, um, I don't know, like transformed his farm into like, um, Act, action role-playing live action role-playing territory for these weird people that come and 
and they would like have all the sound effects of them in the background, you know, and I'd just be fascinated listening to these people. So, yeah. Well, that, that history is probably what shows up in your interviews because your interviews are always so like lively and kind of man on the street fresh, right? right. So. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> what we're going to talk about then is your journey as a coach because, yeah, I think it's really a really beautiful story about somebody who's um, learned how to be a coaching entrepreneur. And there are many powerful lessons in it that actually um, – you know, people listening could really benefit from. And you've also kind of begin, begun to kind of crystallize it into a model, I believe, that I looked at and I was like, this is cool. So, um, but, so let's go back. Let's rewind a little bit. Great. I'm going to let you do more of the talking from now on. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about this journey, like the overview of this journey you've been on. Yeah, so it's been, a, it's been an interesting and wild couple of years. Um, so the backstory to that is I've been a consultant and coach for over 20 years. So coaching was not new to me when I landed in this journey. And I wasn't a person who was struggling to build a financially viable practice. I've, I've been, you know, coaching entrepreneur, coaching and consulting for years. And so the, the thing that launched the journey for me really was two things. The underlying thing that was kind of like always nibbling at me, but not quite present was yes, I'm a successful coach and I'm not feeling completely fulfilled in that. Something's wrong. And that was kind of this undertone that I was always like, well, why am I not satisfied with this? My clients are satisfied, la la la. And the second thing was your interview with Toku McCree, who I think is amazing. Um, I heard that interview and just immediately felt like there's something, there's something this guy has that I need to learn. And at the surface level, your interview was all about his way of teaching people to sell and sales dojo and what he believes about all that. And um, at the surface level, I thought this is finally the guy that can teach me to sell the way I want to sell. Mm. Cause I had a, you know, it's financially okay, but business was working. It was as big as I wanted it to be, but it wasn't working, working anyway. So I, um, I connected with Toku and started Can talking I just, about um, it. Yeah. Just before, when you say it wasn't working, working, and you said like, oh, I was successful, but something was niggling me. Could you say what, what wasn't working or what yeah. was niggling? Um, I think two things. One was that although the business was successful and provided a fine livelihood for me, and it was really clear, I don't want a bunch of people working for me. I was a manager in corporate America. I don't need to do that again. Um, but I never felt in control of that process. I felt like, well, I have enough clients now. Will I have enough clients next year? I don't know. Right. And so I didn't feel like I could make choices about that. So that was the sort of business model part that wasn't working. The more important part that wasn't working was I wasn't, I wasn't completely happy with the kinds of clients I was working with and what they were showing up to do. It wasn't, it wasn't the kind of deep work I really felt called to do. And I wasn't completely happy with how I was showing up as a coach. I, I trained with Doug Silsby for like three years by that point. So, so I had the skills, I knew how to do this. I was, you know, I was competent, um, but I was kind of coasting. My mom had passed away the prior year. Um, and, and I had kind of, you know, during her last year kind of, put the business on autopilot and I showed up to do the work, but I wasn't really kind of at my edge. 
And so I felt like I'm not getting clients at their edges. And maybe that has to do with the fact that I'm not at my edge and like somebody needs to push me out of this. Right. And so when I heard Toku, I thought, hmm, maybe, maybe this is that guy. Right. Cause um, I think that's really important. What you just shared there. Cause I've noticed that that in my own coaching journey, it seems to go through these, you know, growth spurts and plateaus, you know? So and it's like when I'm at my edge, I really do bring out the edge of my clients. You know, it's like there's a kind of boldness and aliveness that comes through me as a coach, you know, that, that's kind of um, bringing that out in the clients. And I think, you know, I always, you know, maybe one of my flaws is I always take things in a spiritual direction, but I think there's something quite profound about that, actually that sense yeah. of being on your edge and what that evokes in your clients. I think that's right. And, and part of it is the sort of spiritual nature of it. Part of it for me is this, like we, we can, I think you may have said this before. I know Toku has said things like this and Doug, we can't take our clients any further than we're willing to go. So if I'm, and Doug used to say this a lot now, now I can kind of see him saying stuff like this. If I'm sort of, skating the surface in my work, how on earth could I invite you to a deeper place? Right. And there is a spiritual quality when we're, when we're really doing the work that I think you and I feel called to do, there is a spiritual quality to the work. There's a place we're inviting people into that's not just the mundane problems of coaching or business or whatever. It's really the, it's it's the who you are in the world and what you showed up here to do and are you doing that? And so I wasn't asking myself to go there. And so clients showed up with, with really uninteresting problems for a while. And I did kind of uninteresting coaching. And, you know, they would be like, oh, thank you. This is so great. Everything's better at my job. And I got my promotion and blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, okay. And you're right? inside. I'm not, I'm not happy, right? Right, right. So that was really what, what launched it for me was it, it really was about I can't serve people the way I want to serve people without finding a different place to stand, a different place for me. Yeah. Nice. And the, yeah. the common thread between both Toku and Doug is that both of them sort of sit on this Buddhist foundation, right? And I'm, I'm not a practicing Buddhist. But the, the whole mindfulness aspect and that spiritual connection makes a container that I think invites us as coaches into our better work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I could speak a lot about that. Um, I think that's also, there's something about that mindfulness, which um, evokes our evolution in a very kind of organic and uh, it allows for a deepening, you know, for depth to an alignment to take place. Um, but, but let's not, um, let's stay on the, let's stay on okay. there. Cause that's a whole okay. other topic. But yeah. so you, you, you heard of, you heard Toku and then you thought I want to work with this guy. So then you started working together for, I think, was it a year you said mm -hmm. or six months or something? Yeah. It, it was a six months engagement that became a year long process. Cause it was all, all this other stuff wrapped around it. But yeah. Yeah. And it, it called forth, some of the deepest, 
so so there was a moment in thinking about was I going to work with Toku or not, where I remember sitting at a stoplight in Austin traffic, and I remember sitting there in my car and getting this very um, felt, embodied felt sense of um, I'm worth it. And all of us have worthiness issues. Like you, there's just not a human that doesn't come with that baggage until they get through it. And, and it made me realize how much I was not through that particular part of my own development. And, and the sense of this is calling forth from me something, so, <laughs> something that inside that wants to be released, this unworthiness junk and something that also wants to grow and be bigger. So, and so that's, that launched the journey. That was before you started working together. It was, it was in the conversation, you know, Toku's sales process, like mine now, involves all these conversations before the actual contract. Yeah. yeah. And so we were in that process. I don't know how many calls we had had by that point, but probably at least three substantive calls um, so we right. were, we were working together. I just wasn't paying him yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because that's interesting to me too. Yeah. And I think that was part of the conversation I had with Toku, uh, the first time we spoke, which was, um, yeah, like how powerful is that already? Yeah. That, that, that before actually giving him any money to work together, you were in a transformative process. You know, you were sat there and, and it dropped in. It's like, I'm worth it. Yeah. So, so there's a kind of, you know, in that, that's, a, that's a powerful shift in that moment itself, isn't it? The recognition, I am worth it. Exactly. But I, I love hearing about that. Yeah. And, and I really, you know, I, I can joke about feeling like I wanted Toku to teach me how to sell, which was, in fact, part of what I wanted. And, and it, it actually was part of what I took away. So I had read the you know, Rich Litman, Prosperous Coach stuff and, and explored that model that there's the whole big coach to create a client, right? But it never, it never like landed properly. And when I experienced it with Toku, I got this, you know, again, deep in my body feeling of I, I can now feel what it's like to invite someone into transformation before I ask them if they want to be a client. And that feeling of, of actually having that inside me as a lived experience and a felt sensation immediately shifted how I wanted to go about client enrollment. So I had this conversation with a woman, gosh, just like two weeks ago. Um, she, a, a, a friend of hers is a friend of mine, and she was like, oh, maybe you should work with Linda. Great. Okay. So we have a first conversation, and I did that thing that we all know as coaches, we probably shouldn't do, but once in a while I slip and fall into this, which is I started coaching her without even asking permission. Like she said something and she was a deep dive kind of gal. My intuition knew it. And so I zoomed in with a deep dive question and she jumped on it. And we had a great conversation that was transformational for her in like 20 minutes. And, and I, at, at the end of this one little segment of the conversation, I said, I did something I shouldn't have done. I didn't even ask if you wanted to go there. I just jumped in the deep water and she laughed out loud and she said, I know. And that's when I knew I wanted you as my coach. Mm. And I'm like, okay, just so you know, I usually ask permission, you know, <laughs> right. but that power of knowing that 
I don't need a coaching contract to get in the deep water. I do need permission and better that I should ask, right? But, but I don't need to have you as a contracted client to do something profound and transformational with you in the 10 minutes we have together or 30 minutes or an hour, whatever it was, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I, this is how I work my business too. And uh, I also find it more and more powerful uh, as a way to enroll clients because it's um, not only, it's not only about um, having them experience something powerful, but it's also about finding out if we're exactly a match, you know, and that, that are we the right people to go on this journey together? You know, yeah. like, and, and, and actually really taking the time to land in that place where it's just a, it's just a really powerful yes, because that creates a very powerful container for the rest of the work to take place. Yes. Yes. And coincidentally, I think one of the things that made me happier with my practice, it causes some people to say no to me right? before I even propose. It causes some people to go like, you're not the right coach for me. Great. Yeah. I realized that. Let me help you find somebody, Right. If I invite you into the deep water and you go, you're probably not my client, right? So yeah, I love that about it, that it, it weeded out the clients I was not having fun working with without me having to say no to anybody, really. People are just like, yeah, I don't think this is a good fit. Like, no, me neither. Let, let's, um, what I'd like to do is ask you about what was your biggest, what was it like working with Toka in the sense of, what did you learn? What I'm really looking for is like, what did you learn about becoming the kind of coach and the kind of coaching entrepreneur that you felt called to become? Mm. And, um, you know, and then also I want to ask you like, you know, because I know you've started to, um, I know you've started to outline your own model of, um, you know, like for your own um, interests, but I think also to share with other coaches uh, the, the kinds of things that can get in the way of us, Enrolling, so we can outline that model a bit later. But first, I want to just know, like, what were your key learnings or like transformational insights about becoming Gosh, that's a coach? That's a great question. Um, so I'll, I'll answer your question kind of in reverse order, in a way. It was my inability to answer that question that caused me to actually build the model I built. Because after working with Toku for a year, I still didn't really know what were my big takeaways. Like, what happened to me? I'm different. I know that. What happened to me? So, so I did build this model. And I think the model, you know, like all such things, it comes out of our own experience. And so the, the key takeaway, I think, for me, if I, if I like really boil it down to the sort of conceptual level, which it was not at all for me, it was a very visceral experience. But at a conceptual level, the big takeaway was that like all humans, I've created these adaptive strategies to survive in the world. And these adaptive strategies are exactly the thing that's keeping me from coaching the way I want to coach. And so the work is not to learn to coach. The work is not to learn to sell. The work is, uh, I love um, Ewan's thing about work with a capital W when the work is the work, right? Um, Right, Dealing yeah. with those adaptive strategies is the work with a capital W for us as coaches. And so that's really what I took away from the year of working with Toku is that being in the work for myself and helping other coaches figure out how to be in the work for themselves 
that that was what I wanted to really be doing and, and that I had in, in this year with Toku, I had done enough of my work with capital W to feel ready to do that, to feel ready to build a model, to feel ready to help other coaches figure it out, that sort of thing. And what, what uh, before we talk about the model and adaptive strategies, what was the outcome? Like what happened to you as a coach and to you as a coaching entrepreneur? Oh, that's a great question. Um, what happened to me as a coaching entrepreneur was that, so I've had my own consulting and coaching business for over 20 years now. We're pushing 30 years. Um, and I had never felt like I could predict or control who and how many clients I worked with. It kind of happened. People referred people. I said, yes, work went on, right? So the pivot for me as an entrepreneur was that I realized that when I felt a desire to add someone to my practice, I could do that and that it could be someone I would love working with. And that was like, boy, talk about empowerment. Like I get to do that after 30 years of not doing that. I get to do that. Right. So that was awesome. Um, as a coach, what happened to me was that I, gosh, I get like all emotional just thinking about this. I, I found the me as coach that I have been looking for. Mm. And that was partly this more empowered thing, but it was this not just willingness to go in the deep water, but, but owning the hunger for that, owning that longing, owning that deep calling and desire to invite other people into that place so that their lives were bigger. I found that finally. I found, a, I found the window into it when I discovered Doug Silsby years ago, but discovered as if he was my discovery. He was my personal discovery for me. But anyway, I found a window into that part. And then the work with Toku was like, oh, and here's what happens when you open the window really wide. Here's what you get. Right. Yeah. And I imagine those two go hand in hand, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I imagine a lot, of, even for myself, actually, you know, like, I'm like, do I feel like I could, if I wanted to create a client and it'd be exactly the kind of client I want to work with? I'm like, you know, I don't, I, I'm trusting that more and more, but I, but I don't fully trust that. No. And um, so, so I'm like, wow, that's a big deal. You know, that's, that's, that's a beautiful quality or capacity to build in oneself. Yeah, it is. And you know, when people talk about, million dollar clients or a, a huge coaching business or whatever. I think many of us, that's actually not the life we want, right? I actually don't want to only work with people who can pay me six figures. Like I don't, I, I, coaching is a more, more about accessibility, right? So, so for me, it's not about, can you build a practice that's X size or can you charge fees that are this big? It's about, can you work with the people that you want to work with? at fees that make you feel like it's a, it's a fair exchange, yeah. right? That's what I want. And I think that's what a lot of us as coaches want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then just the second point, I think it's what we talked about earlier. It's like knowing that you, you become, you become the coach you want to be. Yeah. And that you can take your clients there. It's that edge thing, isn't it? Again, yeah. which I think is just a virtuous cycle of like, well, if I can take people to their edge, they're much more likely to want to sign up with me for the price that it's, that's right. 
or they're going to go to the edge faster and know I'm not for them, you know, and I'm not going to kind of do that other coaching where I kind of compromise and then end up with like a client that I kind of don't really want, but then it's a client, you know, and I'm doing coaching, but I'm not completely fulfilled or energized by it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, coaching can be a completely exhausting way to make a living. If you're not feeling nourished and energized by the work, it is draining. It's exhausting. It's demanding. But if, on the other hand, each conversation is like the one with the potential client that I was telling you about where, you know, like sometimes I'll, I'll come off of a Zoom call and I'll go in the kitchen and I'll just be like, you know, kind of all like tingly and as if I've had six cups of coffee and I don't even drink coffee, right? But I, I can do lots of coaching if I do it that way because it's feeding me as opposed to draining me, even though what I'm doing is actually more demanding than the other thing, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. No, it does, does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you just caught my attention before with what you said. So we're going to, we're going to come to these adaptive strategies, but, um, this thing of like being able to create a client, you know, like, how do you, how do you do that? You know, because of course, um, a lot of people we've talked about Rich Litvin's kind of approach and stuff, but a lot of people might not know anything about this. So, you know, like, yeah, it just sounds a bit like magic maybe, you know, like I just kind of press a button and then the client appears. Where do you find those clients? Like, how do you, yeah. Where do you find them? In some ways it feels a bit like magic, right? Right. So I'll, I'll just own that part that when it's really working, there is a sort of a magical quality to the way it happens. Uh, but beyond that, I'm also a pragmatist and a girl who loves spreadsheets. So we can talk about that part, which is there, there is a process of, so the piece I think is actually missing from Rich Litman's model, whether people know the model or not, I believe that there's a first step that has to happen where you really identify who you want to work with. And by that, I don't just mean your niche, right? So it's not just, oh, I want to work with coaching entrepreneurs. No, it's I want to work with people like Joel Monk because I know Joel is this guy who gets in the deep water, who listens to his heart, and who cares about the quality of his work. So Joel Monk is on my hit list of people I want to have as a client. That's what I mean when I say identify your clients. So you mean you real can't. people? You're saying you real identify... people with real names? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not not just people like Joel, right? But I actually have a list of people. Maybe I'm going to put you on my list. I haven't thought about that. <laughs> I have a list of people that. Um, so so after the whole pandemic thing came out, the fear based part of me said, "Oh my God, I'm not going to have any clients. What am I going to do?" Flashback to like how I how I was three or four years ago when I didn't know where clients came from, right? And I hung out in that space while we were all figuring out, like, what do you do in this world and how do you get groceries, right? So I was in that space for a bit. And then I thought, well, silly, you know the answer to this. You have a spreadsheet with the, with the list of the top 10 people you want to coach. So I went to my spreadsheet and I looked at it and I said, who on this list is really calling to me right now that I really want this person in my practice? And I picked out this young woman I've been talking to over coffee for a couple of years. And, um, and I called her and I said, Hey, how's it going? And what's up with you? And blah, blah, blah. And she's now a client, right? So it's magic in the sense that she happened to be ready for me when I called. 
Right. But it's not magic in the sense that her name was in a spreadsheet and I just had to go there, that one. That's the one it's time for me to work with. And it might not have worked with her, but if it hadn't, I would have just gone to number two on the list. Right. Let, right? Th so let's, um, let's break down how you do this, yeah? But I think this is where we bring in probably the adaptive strategies as well, yeah? For sure. So, for example, someone listening might say, what? Like, that's like... <laughs> you just like called somebody up and um, you know, wasn't that like super kind of um, manipulative or like, you know, creepy, like you're, you're like trying to make them become your client. Uh, you know, like, w w like how did you do that? Like in a way that had them want to work with you. So that's a great question. And you're right. It points to the adaptive strategies. So um, I'm going to talk about two parts of that. The creepy part I'll, I'll come to second, but the first part is that for a long time, when I first started working with Toku, I said, he said something about, you know, you need to have some, you know, the Litvin model, call some people, connect, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know any of the right people. And he said, how many people are in your database, contact database? And I said, I don't know, maybe five or 600. And he said, and you don't know the right people? I was like, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, right? And so what, you know, years later when I built the model, what I realized is that what was happening was my adaptive strategy had for years been, I'm going to be invisible. If I'm invisible, nobody can hurt me. I'm safe, right? And so if I'm going to be invisible, I certainly can't go around picking up the phone, asking people if they want to be my client, Right. I can't really even take the risk of naming the top 10 people I would really love to coach because then I'd be like making a commitment to not be invisible. It's just too scary. So I had to deal with that adaptive strategy about deciding it's okay to be seen in order to even have a list of 10 people that should be my client that are really the right 10. Like I could have picked the easiest 10 in my database, but that's not the point, right? It's not who are the 10 people most likely to say yes, it's who are the 10 people that I would really feel great coaching, that I would feel like this is what I'm called to do. How, how did you deal with that, you know, strategy of I, I want to be invisible? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess like a lot of this stuff, the first thing for me was really not just the conceptual insight of like, oh, yeah, there's me doing that, which I had known for a while I was trying to be invisible, right? but this real felt sense of this is what it feels like inside me to try to choose invisibility at the same time I'm trying to choose business development. Like this is how that's ripping me apart. And so then just really a lot of, a lot of the work that I've done for years, gosh, 20, 20 or 30 years ago, I started um, working with subpersonalities in subpersonality therapy. And I'm very drawn to the idea of working with our parts. And so for me, it was about realizing a part of me really does want to be invisible. And a part of me feels very scared and very unsafe if anybody actually sees who I really am. And a part of me says, that's a crock of shit. Mm. So I had, to, I had to be in conversation with those parts, not be consumed by one of them, as long as I was inside the part that says it's not safe to be seen, I couldn't do anything. But if I could be the meta self that can talk to those parts and have those parts in conversation, 
then I can get through it. So that's kind of a heady answer to that. Well, but I think um, I would say this for me, what you just named there is one of the most profound shifts we can make. Um, I'll keep this super brief, but uh, I've been a long-term meditator and gotten a lot from it really have. And when I learned IFS internal family systems and that actually there were these parts that I was identified with. And, and, and basically let me say this, I'd done voice dialogue work for years and it, some, it was great, but it hadn't quite clicked. And actually what worked for me suddenly was like, oh, disidentifying from a part, like I have to be invisible into presence, unconditional loving presence, which could then meet the part unconditionally. That was the key. That was the yes. key. Yeah. Yes. And suddenly I was like, wow, this is like, it's just turbocharged my spiritual practice in a way that has been profound for me. So yeah. um, that's what I want to say about what you just said. I think it's actually, it maybe sounds a bit heady. It didn't to me, but um, it's actually pointing to something very significant. So Yeah. And, and I think it is pointing what you're describing and I love that we've both done the voice dialogue in the IFA, like, okay, we swim in the same water. Got it. What you're describing is, and I don't know that I've seen any of the people in that tradition describe it this way. It's the fundamental subject object move. Yeah. As long as I was subject to the me that wants to be invisible, I'm trapped. When that becomes object and I can go, Oh, look, I see you. And, and the Richard Strozzi thing, I see you with gentleness and compassion and who you are is okay. Not I see you and could you stop doing that? Right? right. So that's the compassion thing. And, and then also adding in that it sounds like what, what happens with Toku or with another coach, you know, as coaches is we, you know, we can say we're, we're going to be um, loving and, and meet those parts. And I'm kind of bringing it into the light now. Yeah. Like you say, you want to be, uh, doing the real coaching you want to be doing on your edge, but notice for this amount of time you've been kind of skirting around that, yeah. So, and that's okay if you want to do that, that's fine. And if you want to come into this journey, you have to start looking at it honestly, right? Yeah, right. and right. I think as coaches, that's the spiritual part you were talking about earlier is can I confront the client about that gap? in a way that's completely accepting and loving and also kind of a hard edge confrontation. Let's not pretend this isn't true. It's here. Will you look at it with me? I'll stand next to you. I'll put my arms around you, but will you stand with me and look at this? I get goosebumps just saying that because if you will stand with me and together we can look with love and compassion at what's happening, it will change guaranteed. Right? right? So that's the, gosh, goosebumps all over. That's the spiritual part of this that, you know, the spiritual psychological stuff all gets all tangled up, but it's all in there. And the, you know, the thing you asked earlier about the creepy part of calling somebody because I want them as a client, it is the same story, right? It's the same dance of, of, so it's, it's the second adaptive strategy, right? If I call somebody just because I want them to become a client, I fear that that's manipulative. And if I've had this adaptive strategy for belonging, that's about I'm innocent and I never do things like that and I'm all clean, right? Then, then I'm, I'm like in a box. But if I can stand and look at that with compassion and say, oh, 
okay, innocence isn't the only way to belong, which doesn't mean I want to be a manipulative creep and a liar. It simply means that the foundation of my belonging is not I'm always innocent, right? It's this other thing. And so part of my solution was if I feel like that's where I'm like, oh, what if she thinks I'm being manipulative? Then what I would do is I would just, I practiced this with an old client and friend who I thought, yeah, it would be cool to have him as a coaching client. So he was one of the people I called early in my trying to develop myself this way. And I said, basically, hi, Zach, it's been a long time since we've talked. And he's like, yeah, hi, great to talk to you. And I said, right up front, I got to tell you, I have an agenda. I would love to have you as a coaching client. And I want to catch up and find out what's new in your life. And he laughed and I laughed and we talked. Right. So I'm not being manipulated. And, and I did the same thing with this young lady who's now a client. I said, you know what? We've been talking over coffee for a couple of years, and I just feel like it might be time for us to do some serious work together. So I want to talk about that with you. Right. So let me let me make sure I get this right. So you're saying this is the first the first strategy is um, you know we say I choose to be invisible, or you know we haven't identified those real people we want to work with. The second thing is you want to invite people in, you know, explore. I think it was on your model. Yeah. And um, we choose to be innocent. So actually, um, in a way, what you're doing there is you're, you're fully owning your desire to work with them as you yeah. reach out, yeah. which I can imagine is actually very powerful as well, because you're saying, yeah. I would love to work with you. Yeah. And, and it gets rid of like the thing about manipulative stuff is it's like this energy distortion if I'm trying to pull you into a corner without telling you where we're going, then there's like this distorted thing between us. Right. But once I just say like, Hey, I think it's time. We need to do this work together. Now there's no distortion. You might say it is totally not time for me. Do you realize I just got pregnant and I'm having a baby in three months? No. Okay. Got it. Right. Right. But if it is time, we'll find out because there's not the distortion of me trying to ask if it's time without risking blah, blah, blah. So it, it's like consent in a way, isn't it? It's like, um, you know, this speaks to me a lot of just being in relationship in, with people in general. Uh, you know, it's actually your, and I, I'm curious, have you ever had people say to you, like, what are you doing right now? Or like, you know, um, what? You know, coaching me? You know, like, have you ever had any? I haven't. I haven't. And, and I'm, so now that you ask that, I'm like, hmm, does that mean I'm not taking enough risk? Because it's the, you know, when you're learning to ski, if you're not falling down, you're not learning anything, right? So now I'm kind of going, hmm, am I still, am I still pulling my punches a little? But I think, actually, I don't get that reaction. In part because I, 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 I make a space for people to, maybe I wouldn't even know that reaction if I got it. I, I, it usually comes out as something like, I have a sense it might be time for us to do some work together. That might or might not line up for you, but I'd love to be in that conversation. So now people don't need to go what they, they might say, oh, totally not the right time. I just lost my job, blah, blah, blah. Right. But they had, there's a space for them to say that in an honest dialogue. So they don't have to push against it because it's already been invited. It's welcome. Right. And did, did, was there a key piece for you in this, you know, that, that was like um, you had to, you know, do parts work again with, that part of you that chooses to be innocent. You know, I'm thinking now of like Steve Chandler's idea about the professional persona versus the, um, 
personal persona, I think I, got, mm-hmm. I might be getting that, but you know, yeah. Was there something, was there something that helped you make that shift? I remembered this one as more conceptual. There may right. have been other stuff that I'm just not remembering right now, but I remember the moment in the conversation with Toku where he said, if you're afraid that's what you're, they're thinking, why don't you just say it out loud? And I was like, well, I can't do that. And of course, then we had the, why can't you conversation? Um, and then, and then Zach was this guy's name. I, I got on the phone with Zach. Like the next day I called Zach up and said, Hey, and, and afterward I thought, well, that wasn't so hard. And Zach didn't think I was crazy. He laughed. I laughed. We had a good conversation, right? So that one I think was more conceptual and practical. Somebody had to knock down the conceptual door that says, you don't do that. And then once that door was down, I had to try it on and go, right, you can do that. Yeah. No, I think that's been the same for me too. You know, like I remember that, that distinction that Steve Chandler made helped me. It was like, oh, Oh God, I am doing that. You know, I'm kind of like being innocent uh, when I re- when I approach people, but actually, I can just own it. You know, and I can say this is the this is who I am. This is, and and I think Rich Litvin also teaches really well on this. You know, like so yeah, that, I, I get it. It's that distinction that opens up a new realm of possibility that that you can just be transparent. So and yeah. what like so um, you know, using this example, of this woman, like you you said to her, I want to. Coach, I want to, you know, I'd love to work with you. What was next? Like, um, and maybe that takes us on to the third <laughs> step of your model as well. Like you, yeah, you did some work does. with her. Yeah, I did. So the, the third step of the model, again, not unlike Rich's model. I, I don't call it create. He calls it create. I call it coach because I think if I come from a place in the beginning, when I tried using this model, I think I, in the deep conversations, I came from a place that it was about creating a client. And that still felt a little icky to me. And then I realized, really, all I want to do is coach this person. That's what I want to do. I want to give them the best coaching I can give them and and invite them into a transformational experience. If that creates a client, great. And if it doesn't, that's also okay with me. I had to really get to the place where either outcome is okay. and, And the adaptive strategy that that's sort of moving me past is this, I have to be the nice girl, right? I, mm. I grew up in Texas in the U.S. in a time period when girls really had to be the nice girl. And so deep in my bones is the, the desire to be nice. And nice girls don't, right? Don't ask for what they want. Don't push people to their edge. And so this third step of really doing deep coaching, that is what happened next with this young woman I was talking about. Um, we, we talked a little about like, where are you? What's going on in your world? And, and she said, I think I might be ready for a real coach. And I'm like, okay, let's find out. Right. So then, then we have a coaching session and in that coaching session, she, she, she peeled back the onion just far enough to see like, oh, I was describing it as I need to learn some soft skills as a leader, but that's actually not what's going on. What's going on is I need to work through this stuff that's keeping me from what I want. And, and, you know, at that point, it's really easy for me to say, that's what I do. Mm. That is what I do with people. If you're up for that, I'm up for having you as a client. Mm. And so that, to me, that's what kind of completes that step. But you can't complete that step from a desire to be liked, right? From a desire to be nice. You can only complete that step with integrity, I think, 
from this real place of service. You also can't complete that step from a desire to create a client. Mm, right. I mean, that's in there. Dave Burns is great about talking about um, you can sell to serve others or you can sell to serve yourself or you can sell to know that there is no difference in those two. So at some level, that's the non-dual answer. But for my little dualistic self, I had to first own that the deep desire that needs to be coming through me at this moment is the desire for your transformation. And when that's the deep desire that comes through me, then I can complete this coach step in a way that leaves you in a place where you can make a good choice for you. So um, you're saying if you're being nice, you can't do that kind of coaching. You know, that kind of coaching you just talked about because you're, you're holding back in some way. That filter of being nice is holding you back from just that fallout kind of, maybe it's not even fallout when you, when you stop being nice. Maybe it's just you being you, but you're, you know, you're able to do that truly transformational kind of coaching, right? Yeah, yeah. You're, you, transformational coaching is, is often going to make people uncomfortable. And that's, that's head on with the desire to be liked. Because for most of us, we imagine that you won't like me if I make you uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. You won't like me if I'm not nice. You won't like me if I don't pull my punches and hide a little bit. But really, the only way you're going to like me as a coach is if I'm right out there. I'm right out there meeting you at your edge. I'm right out there taking you to your edge. And I can't be worrying about whether you like me, whether you're going to be a client, whether I'm doing good work. I can't be worried about those things. I can only be meeting you at your edge and inviting you further. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And um, you, so in that conversation, you got to a place where you, you felt like you could then say to her, this is the work I do. I'm curious, you know, what, what happened next? And um, you know, is that where we, we move into the, the, I think the, was it the fourth kind of, adaptive strategy or the fourth um you know gaining commitment and then that has an adaptive strategy which can get in the way too yeah so, so like how do you transition from doing that coaching work into enrolling someone as a client could you walk us through that you know that has gotten more interesting over the last year or two i think a year or two ago i would have said well you make a proposal you say this is how i work it's two sessions a month it's a six-month engagement and it costs x amount right and that certainly is one way to make that transition. But I think what started to happen for me is that, um, first of all, I, I got really clear with myself. This actually happened in the, in the sales dojo with Toku. I got really clear that my brain wanted to leap to the commitment of, will you pay me X amount for a six month contract? That's the commitment I wanted to get to ask about. But what I learned for me is that First, I want to know if you're committed to doing the work. So the first transition move I want to make is I want to say, great conversation. Thank you so much for trusting me with this, blah, blah, blah. And then I want to say, I think there's two or three things we're going to need to work together on to get you that promotion to VP that was your presenting issue, right? And those two or three things look like this. And I name the deep work. I don't name the superficial, you need to get better at delegating, right? I don't care about that. I name the deep stuff and I say, this is what I think you might be needing to work on. Did I miss anything important? Do you, do you agree with this? And then we have a conversation. And when we're at the point where we both have the same three things on our list, then I get to say, 
So what I need to know is, are you up for doing the hard work of that? That's the commitment I really want. And if they say yes, the rest is mechanics. Because you know what? My fee doesn't have to be a certain number. And so if you're really up for that work and I'm really willing to invest in you doing that work, we'll figure out the package and the fee that works for both of us. And sometimes I'll say it just like that. Here's my standard corporate fee. I know your corporation is not paying for this. You are. And so what I want you to know is if you're really up for doing that work, I'm up for doing it with you and we'll find a way. Right. And I've had people come back and say, okay, I talked to my husband. I can't possibly pay what you said, but I'm willing to spend this much. What can you do for me? And I'll always find this, this woman who recently became a client said, I'm not sure I even need six months and I am sure I can't afford that. Here's what I can afford. And I think I want to start with a three month package. Are you willing to do that? Yes, I'm all in. Mm. And, I, and I won't say yes if I don't feel all in. The old me a few years ago might have said yes because I need the client in quotes. Now I only want to say yes if I feel the same investment I'm asking about in you. I'm asking you, are you up for doing that hard work? And I have to ask myself, am I up for doing that with you? And if we both get a resounding full body yes, we will find a way to make it work. Right, right. Yeah. So um, let's, yeah. So that's, that's really important, I think. It's like you're really taking the time to find this alignment, you know, like, and, and I think that's, I remember what I talked with Toku about as well. It's like that moment, you know, of like the commitment um, that, that actually can be very transformational in itself. And so what, like may, maybe you've already answered this. My question is something like what, what's the most important thing for you in doing that, you know, in, in, mm. in finding that yes to the work. So the sort of coaching process part that I think is important is I have to have really listened deeply enough and taken you far enough that I can fairly accurately name some big issues based on just one or two conversations. And that's hard. That's really hard. I have to really take you to your edge to see that work, right? So that's the coaching process part is that I have to be listening and processing and synthesizing enough to name it well. And, and to, this is harder to explain, to, to, to stand in the space when I name it. I can't kind of name it like, oh, maybe it's this and kind of that. And what do you think about this, right? I have to name it. It's the thing we talked about earlier, but I have to stand with you and look at it with compassion. Here's what I see for you, Joel. Here's the work I think you need to do to get where you want to go. And, and I can usually feel in myself. I mean, I can feel it now just talking to you. When I do that, if I'm not all in, I'll know. Like my body will, will do the move, but then something will reel back, right? If I'm all in, then I'm just waiting to see, does it look like you're all in and what do you say? And I don't really want a yes that, if somebody says yes too quickly, I will sometimes say, I get that it feels like a yes now. I want to know if it feels like a yes in a week or two. Mm. be willing to email me and let me know how this settles in for you in a week or so. I don't want you to do the quick and easy. Yes. And if it's still a yes in a week or two, let's talk about structuring a program for you. Right. But I, I need you to live in your yes for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's nice. And I noticed we're at the top of the hour. We never plan. Do you have a few more minutes? Do you have, is this a hard stop, you uh, know? Because we can I do have, that. Yeah, no, I have another five or 10. All right, great. So, um, yeah, no, again, I, I feel the, you know, we're talking now about the embodied side of it, the alignment side of it, you know, yeah. even that kind of, um, you know, like we're going on this profound journey together and feeling the yes of that and the kind of transmission you know, the broadcasting of that, that will have to your client, you know, you're both in that container together. It's kind of like a transformational crucible. And it's like, you, you know, you're turning up the, the pre the, the, the flame, and then you can like feel, is it, a, you're testing it. Is it a yes? Yeah. Because then the yes is going to be more like, this is a real yes, you know? And I can imagine then when you work with those clients, you do your best work and then you know, like you, you're energized, like you were sharing earlier, but you also get better referrals. It's like your testimonials get better. Everything just right. increases. Right. And, um, I, I wanted to ask you, like, how do you go about saying no to a client? If oh, you feel like, because that's an edge for me sometimes. It's like, we might have even done really powerful work together, which makes it even harder to say no. But uh, there's, there's some feeling I might have, which is like, we're just not quite right. How do you, how do you go about turning someone like that down? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I'll say, before I, before I say how, I think it's really important that we give ourselves permission to do that. Because if you don't have permission to say no to a client, you will never have a practice filled with people you love working with. You'll have a mix, right? And so I think that's super important. It, it, you know, the adaptive strategies, again, we're, we're sort of in a mindset of not doing that. Um, the how of that... The, the first thing for me, in a way, it's the same thing I would want to do with the client. If the client's like, yeah, I don't know, right? I, I want to challenge that no. I want to be like, so what's holding you back? What, what is it that you don't want here, right? So if it's me that's feeling the no, I want to ask myself, what is it you don't want? Is it that this is going to take you too far to your edge? Is it that this person seems like they might be smarter than you and that's scary? I have one client right now who hands down is smarter than I am. And I had this sort of terrified reaction in the beginning, like, oh my God, it's scary to work with clients who are smarter than you are, right? He's one of my best clients and I love working with him. But I had to challenge that little bit of a no in myself to really know that I wanted to work with him. So, so I want to ask myself, what makes you feel like saying no? And when I get through that, I still may be in a place of like, yeah, this is a good no. This is a real no. I'm a no. And, and definitely what I, what I will say to most people is the fairly straightforward. I just don't feel like this is the best fit. I feel like you and I both know what you need to do, and we're, we're not meant to do this together. And nine times out of ten, the client will say, I was having that same feeling. Thank you for saying that. Because they don't want to say that, right? Some of them do, but most of them don't want to say that. Right. They'll dance around about it's about fee or it's about timing, but they won't just say, hey, bad fit, right? So it's my job again to name it and to stand with them and say, I don't feel like this is a good fit for us to do this work. And then, you know, part B is to say, would you like me to give you the names of some people I think might be a better fit for you? Right. And often they're super relieved and grateful, like, wow, you would do that? Of course I would do that. I, I want you to do this work. I just don't think I should do it with you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, and I think what I like there is just, um, you know, you're saying yes to something else, aren't you? You're saying, you are saying no to that client, 
but you're saying yes to something else for you and for them, which I think is a nice, um, you know, it makes it probably easier to say no to some people. Because yeah, what you're really saying yes, is, yeah. The yes really is, I'm a yes to their bigger commitment. So I've had clients say, right. I, in fact, a, a, a friend of mine who almost became a client, we got right up to that place and I said, this is what you need to work on. And she said, yes. And we talked about it a little more. And I said, to tell you the truth, I think I want you to go do that work with a somatic experiencing practitioner and then come back to me because I need you to do some work on the trauma that I'm not competent to do. Right. And so my bigger yes was I want this person to do the journey she needs to do. That's my big yes. Whether it's a, a contract with me or not, I want you to be on the journey you need to be on. Yeah. And my bigger yes for me is I want to be doing the work I'm called to do. Yeah. So if those two big yeses align, we should absolutely be working together. If those two yeses don't align, we should each do the big yes and let the little one be a no. Right, right. That's lovely. Um, I know we've got a few minutes left. So there's a, there is a couple of things on my mind. Like one is, um, you know, I think this approach works when you have fees which are enough to, to kind of, then you've got space to do those exploratory sessions, yeah? So, you know, I think that's one thing worth noting. I see you nodding about that. It's like, if you're, you know, just charging the bare minimum, then you, you haven't got enough kind of, you know, your, your coaching practice isn't anti-fragile. It can't cope with having those exploratory conversations. Yeah, so there's a business model thing there for people to think through. And, and again, this goes back to the stuff about invisibility and being the adaptive strategies. Why are your fees so low that you have to work X number of hours in client? Like, is that is really, is that is that what you need to be charging, right? And you may have a story about the market that you serve or whatever, but probably it's just a story. And not every client has has to or can pay the same. So there's the business model question of, yes, structure your business model so that you can make a living, pay your bills, have a life, and have enough time to do this business development. Mm. But it, I guess what I want to say is this, this kind of business development doesn't take any longer per client than the other kind. The other kind takes a little slice with a whole bunch of people before one guy says yes. This kind takes a fair amount of time with some people who are pretty well sorted on the front end before lots of people, right? So your close ratio, to put it in sales terms, your close ratio is a lot higher, so you don't have to have as many on the front end of your funnel. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, well, it's been a rich conversation. I don't know if there's anything else you want to share, like um, if there would be like one piece of advice you would give to coaches who are maybe at that place where you were, you know, where, yeah. or even they were in an earlier place, you know, where they're just starting out. What, what would be the, I guess the big piece of advice. And I, I think I said this in the webinar, the big piece of advice is coach be all about the how to let your progress as a coach, whether it's business development process or coaching competence progress, let your progress as a coach be about who you are becoming. You know, Richard Strozzi would talk about becoming the self that can fulfill on your commitment, right? That's really what it is. It's are you becoming the you 
that can coach the way you want to coach, do business development the way you want to do business development, charge the fees you want to charge. That's about, that's what it's about. And so that's, that's my one piece of advice is it's all about you. Right. So, so if your developmental work doesn't include you being a coaching entrepreneur, it should do. It should do. Yeah. So get, get working on that. Yeah. That's nice. Where, where can we find out more about your work then, Linda? I mean, you know, this was a spontaneous conversation. I really want to pre- I want to appreciate you for that. We just decided to hit record. I think it's been really rich. Um, where, where can we find out more about what you're up to? Oh, gosh. Um, so my website is Linda Ford, PhD, Paul Henry David, lindafordphd.com. Um, what I will say is that this work doesn't have much real estate there yet. So that's, that's the website that's about my work coaching leaders. And for the last year or two, people have been saying, where can I find out more about this? Um, the blog that I sent you on Coaching World. So if you go to the Coaching World blog and just look for me, Linda Ford, um, you'll find a short blog post about this model. And then if that intrigues you, you can put something in the comments or send me an email and, and we'll talk. And let me check because people listening, are you, are you, um, do you work with coaches to help them um, and build their business? You know, that's what yes, I'm great question because you know, actually that's an important question. People listening now, imagine there'll be some who are like, that's fantastic. You know, like this is actually what I'm looking for. So, Yes. Yeah, I definitely am doing that work. I, as this model started coming clear to me, it also became clear to me that I, I had always seen my calling, if you will, as I feel called to help leaders be the leaders the world needs today. And when I started getting clear on this model, I thought, okay, there's leverage here. If I can help other coaches help leaders become right then there's leverage. And so, yes, I'm very invested in coaches who are willing and ready to do the inner work that's required to build a business. And as a byproduct of that, yes, you'll build the business you want. Um, But the thing we're really working on is the you that can fulfill on the commitment to be the coach you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So yes, big yes to working with coaches. All right. Thanks, Linda. Thank you. This was fabulous. I, I enjoyed the conversation even more than I had imagined I would. Here we are again. Here I am again. And thanks for listening. I really appreciate that. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Again, if you want to join our mailing list and stay in the loop about other resources, then join us at coachesrising.com. Scroll down the page, you'll find the sign up box in there. And please share this podcast if you feel like there are other coaches out there who'll benefit from listening to it and leave a review it helps us find other coaches and just be well in general in these you know continually unique and chaotic times wish you well